0: You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed.
1: Welcome to episode 95 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Hunter Atkins.
2: Hunter, it's been a few weeks since we've had you in studio. How's it going, man? It's going great. Although it's been weeks since I've been in studio, you're always in my dreams, Austin. I appreciate that. I dream about you too. I'm just kidding, I don't. But uh, well, <laughs> that was brought- embarrassing. I shouldn't reveal that.
1: <laughs> We've actually got a, uh, a guest that you brought along, and that's Derek Fogle, who uh, works here at Sports Radio 610, CBS Sports. Uh, Derek, thanks for stopping by the studio this week. And uh, you cover the Astros. You cover a lot of the sports here in Houston. Uh, you're a former athlete. How did you get down? arguably the greatest city in the United States. Arguably the greatest city. Wow. Okay, coming
0: from Chicago, I don't know if I can take that sitting down. But yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome studio setup. Like I said, I think I need to buy is, all this equipment. Is it still the We Desert
1: Studio, or do we no, lose that sponsorship? No. no, we actually pulled the sponsorship out. Now we are the big
0: baller brands uh, studio, if you heard from a few <laughs> oh, weeks ago. God. Hey, stay in Yo Lane. You can't afford two extra letters to say your, I guess. <laughs>
2: Derek, tell us a little bit about your background.
0: All right. Well, played college baseball, three different schools, went D2 out of high school. I had D1 offers, didn't think I was good enough, went D2, then figured out I was good enough, had to go to junior college because you can't go D2 to D1 because the NCAA is crooked. Went to junior college (laughs) at Cowley County, yeah, where uh, Trevor Rosenthal, closer for the Cardinals, went, also Travis Hafner, junior V to go way back in time. And then I went to and Southern Illinois. Yeah. And then me. <laughs> and Derek Fogle. And then I went to Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. And I'm trying to think of players that went there. Steve Finley. Okay. A little throwback oh, there. I like that. Former and then, Astro. Yeah. And then, what's your, the and then what's your radio background? My radio background. I got into it because my father's on the air in Chicago. He does music. His dad also was on the air. He did music. Except I'm in sports for obvious reasons. And I was a Because you were a
2: former athlete after Travis Hafner, Trevor Rosen. The, right. Yeah, that Mountain Rushmore of... Illinois baseball players, including
0: you. And that I am included on it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then I was an ESPN program director for an affiliate. And then I wound up here a while ago, got to cover the Texans, Rockets, and now Astros, and I'm waiting for him to get a hockey team because I'm dying.
1: Gosh, we... Hockey. Okay, so I was actually having this conversation with somebody uh, a few weeks back. They were asking me why Texas doesn't have two hockey teams. You know, wouldn't it be great to have a natural rival for the Dallas Stars? There's one? A lot oh. of people don't realize, but back in the 90s, after the Oilers had, you know, gone off to Tennessee, uh, there was actually a strong play to bring the Edmonton Oilers down here to Houston. Obviously, that failed. Uh, we don't even have an IHL team anymore, an HL team, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, but, AHL. Yeah, but yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I actually watched my first hockey. Game the other night, Game Seven of the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh man,
0: it's been a really good Stanley Cup playoffs. They're actually getting their highest ratings in a while. Well, yeah, Hunter's going to Hunter's away. pushing away the
2: mic because that that's not what we're here. We're
0: not here to talk hockey. No. But
2: uh, I actually have a. I want to let's jump to the Astros. And yeah. I want to start with Derek because I want, I'm glad that we have you on air because I do want to call you out for something, sure. which is the following. Yeah, the Astros now winners of 32 games. They're off to the best start. In franchise history, thirty-two games as of as of this recording. Um, It's right. We hope by the time you're listening, it's actually a little bit more. (laughs) Well, don't say we hope. I'm not. You know, like I'm out of this. I hope this was like. Remember that time I went on? I went on ESPN Radio, and I was asked by some doofus um, like. What was it? What was it? it? Must be. It I, must be refreshing. They, listen, they or, listen to the show, so I'm not going to mention. the oh, name. <laughs> so Somebody, 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 somebody on the ESPN radio asked me, like, yeah, like it must be. You know, basically, like, I must be so happy or it must be so refreshing. And I said, like, well, I mean, I don't care. Like, it's not. You know, I'm it's, not a fan. It's so, so much so.
0: easier to cover a winning team. Though.
2: It is. I, I'm just. But it, the implication was that I was rooting for the Astros to win. Right. So, which I'm, I'm. You know, I'm right in the middle. Obviously, you guys are professionals in the media space. I just host podcasts. All right, so you I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm happy. All right, All right so, here, so here's what I was say, Derek. In the time that I have known you, right, fallen in love with you, okay, mm-hmm, asked for your child, okay. Um, it's getting weird. Yeah, well, that's what we do. And it's it, you, as a, you we discussed how you played baseball. I have never heard you. I will. I must say, I've never heard you analyze anything about the Astros with extensive, you know, with your extensive knowledge of playing. Meaning. Like is there something about the season, a player, a like a season that the season that Marwin Gonzalez is having, or Krzysztofinski's changeup? Like I've never heard you really go in with your own knowledge. So for those of us that didn't play big time college ball, please feel free to show me. Why your experience actually qu- makes you a better reporter on this
0: makes me more qualified than I should be
2: Well, I just give me something like is there, it, seriously is there something in don't you know don't go through the classic you know like big picture generalization of well the team's playing well because of this XYZ give me something pick a player okay. pick something you've seen in a game good or bad Sure.
0: that you can go in on okay Lance McCullers is the most confusing starting pitcher I think I've ever seen. really. We always, hear, we always hear great stuff, right? Great stuff, great stuff. And that is exactly the truth. That's all he has is great stuff because the location is spotty. He pitches backwards, and he's having tremendous success through it, and I don't understand how. Because he's effectively wild is how. You have a, a, a hitter up there, incredibly uncomfortable because they don't understand what's coming, where it could be, if it's going to be in the zone or not. And then on top of that, he's pitching backwards, which doesn't really warrant success for an extended period of time, especially for a starting pitcher. Like, at the beginning of the season, he was throwing his curveball like 53% of the time. If you look at anybody else in the majors, they throw their fastball or a variation of a fastball like – 75% Seventy-five percent of the time, seventy percent of the time. So you have guys like Dallas Keuchel throwing three shades of gray. You understand why he has success. What's three shades of gray? You have three shades. That was, of gray. That was such a good. That was oh, that's changeup. No, no, he's no? got like a four seam fastball, a sinker, a two seam, and and a cut fastball. So he's throwing. They're they're all very similar. That was right? Cool. That was cool. They float around eighty six to ninety one. They all look the same out of his hand, but they're going to dive or stay straight if he throws a four seam, right? Lance McCullers is finally working that in, trying to figure out a third and a fourth pitch because as a starter, that's what you need. But it's been amazing to me that he's been able to have success with two pitches and pitching backwards for this long. That was rant. rant that was
2: X. Ex- no, that wasn't rant. That was analysis. And, and it, I wish th- you. I wish you wrote
0: more about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I give it. It's just straight facts: what happened in the game, <laughs> who said what. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not really supposed to. I don't think people want to get into that. I could break down every pitch of a game if you wanted.
1: So to me, I find that interesting. I was watching the Astros game this past Sunday, and they did something a little bit more unique. The entire game was focused on sabermetrics and kind of the advanced numbers that we're starting to see. Uh, you know, especially with Jeff Luhnow, you know, really putting an emphasis on Luno. The, Luno, yeah, putting that emphasis on the advanced metrics. Why is it that? I don't know, the common fan or baseball fan isn't just eating that up and just wants to read the typical gamer. We're
2: not smart. What do you mean?
0: Uh, it's difficult because if you think, okay, you got to run around first with no outs in seventh inning or later. Common baseball knowledge would say "Bunt him over to get him in sp- scoring position with one out. Nowadays, with the numbers and the analysis that they have, they're going to tell you swing away for a certain player, especially uh, for, or for a matchup, for anything, for the way they're shifted. So to the common fan, things are much more difficult to understand because of the numbers, even though we love numbers as baseball fans, right? right? That's the thing that's unique to baseball. I could ask Hunter, I could ask anybody, no, please you know, don't. what was, how many yards did DeAndre Hopkins have last season? Nobody knows. But if you ask what Dallas Keuchel's ERA the past three years were, everybody knows. So I think that it's interesting that people haven't quite onto it, caught onto it yet. Right, We're not completely on board, but there's this part of us that still doesn't understand it because I'm sitting there, and I'm pulling my hair out, and I'm like, bun him over, bun him over, bun him over, and then they don't do it, and then they get a hit, and it's, oh, well, this all makes sense. But if it doesn't work out, then old baseball knowledge seems to take over the realm again, but I think that might be a way to answer your question. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, and, and kind of one of the things I want to jump back on real quick because we were talking about McCullers a little bit earlier – his strikeout numbers have been down his last four starts, but he's four and zero. I think twenty one, twenty two scoreless innings. He's just been lights out from the mound. Why is it? I'm, I'm why are his numbers down? Is it is it you know? Is it changing his mechanics up a little bit? Just the he, strikeouts, he, you mean? Yeah, his, his strikeouts. Because I, I mean, obviously his ERA has been. Really good. He's sub-3 ERA
0: right now. But what has been the difference for him the last four games? Well, he pitches backwards for one, and he falls behind in the count a ton. That's something that's also I forgot, that he falls behind in the count more than anybody else in the league until, like, the last five starts of his. He's been trying to work in a two-seam, a sinker, and also his changeup. So because he's trying to diversify himself because I think he and the entire staff understands like he's a black and white guy. It was fastball, curveball for majority of his career until now. So now that he's trying to work in the two-seam, the change-up, he was actually getting ahead his last start, but he only made it five innings because right. the second he pitches. went ahead, yeah, the second he went ahead, he was trying to work in his other stuff that he's not quite as comfortable with. So he's kind of walking a fine line of do I stick with what I'm good at or do I try to mix that in with things I need to get better at by the end of the season? Like that's going to be a tough struggle for him as he goes because when you pitch backwards for a majority of the career, for a majority of your career, which he has done. I am so shocked that he's made it this far without even developing those pitches. But then again, it's only been two seasons, right?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, I, I would say Austin's a little bit of a sample size issue, too, because they just recently got into a part of their schedule where they're playing better out-of-division teams, right. right? So, like, the strikeout numbers may have been high because the teams in the AL West are awful, you know? But playing, you know, pitching against the, uh, the Indians, the Yankees, or whomever, can you, Austin, do you have his game logs up? Yeah, I do. Who Who are the last four wins against? His last four wins came against the Yankees, Miami, and Detroit.
1: So he did not pitch in the Indian series. Of course, mm. Dallas Keuchel didn't pitch either. Astros get swept.
2: Good point. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking those teams are probably a uh, cut above the uh, the AL West teams. If you, I mean, if you really are focusing on strikeouts so much, I'm not sure it's, it's just that big a deal, right?
1: No, I, I, he's I,
0: just working in other pitches. Yeah. Really.
2: So th- so that's.
1: Nothing to be alarmed of that we've seen those you know high swing and miss rates early on in the season, but, but
0: those have kind of gone down. That's because his curveball was like fifty three percent of the time, right. and now it's only like forty two or something in the last. Wow, well, th- he
2: was just on the cover of Sports Illustrated for his curveball and for pitching
0: right. curveball. By the way, so I, would like, I would like to say something about that curveball really quickly. Yeah, in Jake Kaplan, one of your uh, associates, his writing, he has to. <laughs> He goes between saying slider and curveball because when guys talk about him in the locker room, they'll say slider, oh yeah, his knuckle curve. It's none of those. What well, it it's is, a, but it, he holds it like a slider grip. No. Yes, yes. No, All it's right. a spike curveball. So that's oh. why you hear people say knuckle curve. So what it is, it is technically a slider grip, but he tucks his index finger in, which creates a little spike, and then it's a spike curve. So then you have some people saying knuckle curve, which is not. A knuckle curve is where you actually push forward Like you're going to throw a knuckleball, but you're trying to get front spin on the ball. So it dives like a splitter. It's really hard to throw. And for the most part, it's a very like junior college type pitch. Big players don't use that. You're going to use a heavy breaking ball. But he does have that slider grip over the seam. So he gets a really, it's almost a power curve even. I don't know what to call it. I mean, he throws it at, what, 88 to 92 I, miles I would, an hour?
2: I would I mean, say, by the way, just hmm. to defend Jake, Jake consistently calls it a power curve.
0: Oh, he does it right. But when he's talking to guys in the locker room trying to write a story about it, I know he gets frustrated because he got in the elevator one time and he's like, they kept calling it a slider. That really hurts my story. It's not a slider. <laughs> it's a spike curve. And I'm so like, he knows. Man. All right, he knows. He's aware, yeah, yeah. But it could even be called a power curve like he calls because it. Because a power curve. Yeah. yeah, but it breaks like some guys' sliders. Right. So the, it's fair because to call it, it...
2: But because it has that slider grip, I don't know, if they, if for anybody at home that doesn't know, one very basic way to visualize the difference between a curveball grip and a slider grip is the difference between a horseshoe shape for a conventional curveball, which is like, that's where your fingers are going to kind of contour to the right seam for a horseshoe, I'm being very basic. Sure. Uh, Derek is, is rolling his eyes a little bit. <laughs> no, no, I'm trying. Oh, no, I'm gonna, I wish then, no, we no, had saying, film right now just so we could, you know, uh, I don't know. It's not a pod, but oh, no, and then a slider grip, instead of a horseshoe, it's the other way around, it's a U, and that the, you know, the leverage is on the right side of the inside of the U shape, just to, to give somebody a visual. What's interesting about McCullers, like you're saying, Derek, is that when he uses that U shape, the slider grip, he's also quote, spiking, right, his index finger, which means, can you, can you describe it in a little more fine detail, meaning his middle finger, right, so, like, the right side of his middle finger is where the leverage is going to come on the inside of the U seam on the baseball. So the spiked index finger is, like, right next to that middle finger grip. Us- and-
0: usually, like, on it, but kind of on the inside of it, so the seam would be closer to the plate when you're throwing it so you can rip down. And when it. we
2: say spike, what we mean is he he pulls his index finger in and his fingernail is kind of digging into
0: the it can, hide. It can dig in or even just push against it. Or the funny thing is, like Adam Wainwright, he has one of the greatest curveballs in baseball right now, he just leaves his finger up. Oh, interesting. It, and he has two fingers on the ball. Oh, wow. So it's just a variation. A.J.
2: Burnett, I think.
0: Burnett had a nice one.
2: Well, yeah, but he was...
0: Anyway, speaking of AJ Burnett, though, Charlie Morton is like a spitting image of that guy now. No. Yes. So what do you think about Charlie Morton? I mean, he was a guy who put up
1: he's had some decent years this year. It seems like numbers are really good. He seemed to be a completely new pitcher this year. His velocity is way up. How with the back end of the rotation kind of struggling with Musgrove and fires,
0: has he been a good fill in, I guess, for that three hole? Uh, I mean, you could say so, but he's only made it to the seventh inning twice. So, so but what? with the, the bullpen, best, is the that, best is that bullpen important? in baseball, yeah. Yeah, and they carry a huge bullpen. But if you're the third starter in the rotation, you kind of have to accept that you still need to be getting through seven innings because the bullpen's going to have a majority of the work on days four and five when you have Musgroves and Fires. That's just the idea behind well, it. Well, and Lance doesn't go deep either. Right. Right. And that's. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Look, Morton, he's got. I don't.
2: I, I don't know his most recent stats, but I think it was forty-seven strikeouts and thirty-something innings. His stuff is his stuff. Has been really good. His velocity has been really good. He's a number three starter. Like, that's I, what's I so
0: funny to me is because we talked to him. I think it was a, his final spring training start. No, it was his, it was his first start of the season. And I said to him, I said, "Hey, man, your velocity looks really good. Are, are you, have you seen this before? Are You feeling special?" And he goes, "No, that's that's kind of been where it's at." But if you look back in his career, he's like an average of like three or four miles an hour higher. He has the third highest average fastball in the league right now among starters. So it's something that's... Look at you using stats, Dave. Oh, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he doesn't
1: even have game notes in front of him, which I'm, is, I'm which not is allowed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not
0: allowed to do this with, uh, with my radio team because I'll go right over their heads. So this is great. That's why I love podcasting is you can talk about things that yeah. wouldn't usually make sense on the radio because radio, you're kind of limited to the 24-hour news cycle. We don't need to go there. But Charlie Morton, anyway, yeah, he looks like just like AJ Burnett to me. Tall right hander, basically sidearm, super heavy, like 94 plus, And then it, he, his two seam fastball breaks like, I'm trying like a like a 10 to three o'clock at like eight inches. That's difficult to keep up with. And then he's got a really, yeah, nice eight slider. inches is difficult to keep up. Yeah. Oh, okay. There we go. Getting, getting weird again. I like it, Hunter. Getting weird. Now, so no, he, I th- he answers with a good slider too. It's just inconsistent. He can't get deep into games right now. Yeah, and, and speaking of getting
1: in deep into games, uh, he's only had uh, ten starts this year, and only four he's gone more than six
2: innings. Okay, well, even just six.
1: That's... Right, ouch. He's only gone seven innings. I don't twice. think that's
2: a, I really don't think it's a big deal, because it's just it's the trend of the game. For instance, go ahead and uh, we we don't have the time, but. Somebody can <laughs> go at, at Elias or whatever, can try to find how many number three starters have gone more past the sixth inning. It's not that big a deal. This is a, this is a good segue into, into another bigger discussion, which is, since we're about to hit Memorial Day, a proper time to gauge you know which teams seem destined for the playoffs, which teams can we say are favored to get to the World Series. The Astros are at the top of the list, right? Right. And it drums up all kinds of conversations of, okay, what is general manager Jeff Leno going to do? You know, he's never acquired a player midseason, like a, a big hitter midseason or a big pitcher midseason that is intended to change the course of the team. For instance, like when he got fires years ago, wasn't that, it wasn't really that radical or big of a trade. But you get one more big arm and it really could
0: affect the season. I'm not I'm not talking about you, you want know. to throw a wrench in that and make it really awkward for the Astros. You got Colin McHugh. That's I know, supposed to be I know, back. I know.
2: Well, McHugh, but McHugh but is he's, going. But he's so gonna, cool. oh, hold on. McHugh is going to. First of all, Jeff is probably not going to make a trade until Colin McHugh starts, whenever that is. Colin McHugh's been out with dead arm and uh, shoulder injury, or is it elbow? A, elbow, yeah, elbow. Uh, for you know, since uh, the end of spring training, so he probably wants to see what Jeff probably wants to see what he has before making any trade. But it doesn't really matter. Jeff is going to be a panacea for Mike Fires. Fires will get pushed out, right? He, Fires has been terrible this year. But who cares? He's a number five starter. If we're thinking big picture, we're thinking once the dance begins, that is the postseason, that is now the March Madness of baseball, right, with these these two wild cards and everything. I do think that what could push the Astros, that could really ensure a quality run to the World Series is like a number two type starter. I don't think somebody, you know, that's as good as Charlie Morton, is going to be is a difference maker but that that's like that that to me is the thing that really would ensure them getting to the World Series is a, a bona fide, big time trade for a, uh, for well, a pitcher mean, you, starting pitcher you, you saw them in 2015 try to make that move with Scott
1: Kazmir and then Mike Fires. obviously Kazmir just oh, yeah, tanked yeah, after yeah, yeah. he got here i think he had like two You're good, right, I forgot about two that. good starts then was just Is he pitching this year? Where is he? I don't believe so. Yeah. Uh, but potential guys on the market I mean Johnny Cueto. Uh, I was gonna say San Johnny Cueto, Jose Quinta, uh, we, Quintana. We, yeah, and then we've heard rumors the past few
2: weeks. Cueto's about too expensive. Je- Jeff's never going go after him. I don't think. So way too expensive. But he's got an option. His country. He's got a. He's got
1: a. Why would he? Know, can it's opt a out. player. It's a player option.
2: Yeah, it's a player option. Yeah, a player option Why would he, he take it? He's he's guaranteed to make something like a certain amount. Yeah, and he's pitching poorly. That's true. That's fair.
1: Like <laughs> so. What what about a guy like uh, Garrett Cole, who we've seen kind of rumored? That would be huge.
0: That would be huge. <laughs> the idea that. Garrett Cole is even on the market. It's funny because he's he's a number one starter for one, and and affordable. That's
2: that's I mean that's he could be
0: a nice rental. I don't know, but 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 Pittsburgh surely would want
2: a top line starting pitcher. Like I see, I think of a guy like Jose Quintana, who's a lefty with the White Sox. That seems like a much more attainable player where they wouldn't have to give up the farm for uh, for him. But I guess I, I guess look, would you give up? What's the name of uh, Martez? The uh, the uh, the number one pitching prospect. That I mean, the he struggled. Had? I mean, I, I know it's AAA, and but, 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 pitchers but, but, go through phases. But, but he struggled a lot. But now, but now I'm actually going to go back to what yeah. I said, which is, I w- yeah, I would probably give that guy up for Garrett Cole.
0: Careful though, when you say that it's it's AAA because actually most of the competitive minor league baseball tends to be in Double A. AA. Right. AAA right. tends to be a lot of rehab, right? So, but
1: at, at the same time, I would rather take a known quantity, some guy who's done it, has a pedigree of doing it in Major League Baseball rather than a, a guy who has that potential who's shown flashes of greatness in the minor league systems i i don't know i that's kind of one of the things that is so frustrating to me as someone who enjoys watching baseball is baseball fans are sometimes ridiculous about how you can't trade prospects whereas we see it in you know the nba all the gms go for those high caliber players and you know it doesn't matter if a guy's going to be good in you know 5 but 6 there, but years but there aren't
2: prospects in the nba it doesn't work like that right
1: but i i think in in, in baseball it seems like I don't know, GMs are sometimes more protective of those prospects. And we see that's not always the case with, you know, Dansby Swanson getting traded a few years ago uh, from Arizona to uh, Atlanta. But I don't know, would you deal a guy like Bregman if it meant that you could get
0: somebody like Garrett Cole? It's so funny to me that Bregman, the, the aura surrounding him is like, he's someone you build a franchise around, which is so funny to say about a guy that's essentially a utility player. So I say trade him, but they seem to love him here in Houston.
2: Cost nothing is twenty one. No, he's, he's 22. twenty two. He's the same age as McCullers. I mean,
0: Derek. Yes. Oh, he's good. I'm not. I don't mean to marginalize his talent. Exceptional fielder. I wouldn't go so far to say exceptional. I mean, he's also not playing his natural position. Yeah, I, but I don't know. I'm surprised. Twenty two years old,
2: cost nothing. They have him under control for what seems like forever. Yeah. I think it's five or six years. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I. That's audacious to say you would... For who... I mean, God, it would have to be such a good deal. No, but also forget it. You're right. What you you had said was, quote, I would trade him. But let's think more realistically about this club and Luno. No, no, they're not going to trade him. No,
0: especially when you only have three guys on the bench, right? You're carrying 13 pitchers in the bullpen. Right. Which, I mean, you're going to have to cut that, some of them, when it comes to the postseason because there's just too many you won't get to them all. I don't care what situation you have. We don't even... The Astros don't even use, or, or we don't even in baseball use situational pitchers that much anymore, right? Think about the World Series last year. It was Andrew Miller and everybody else. It was Araldus Chapman, and that's it. That's all the Cubs, and that's all the Indians use. Yeah, and not, with the right now the reliable. Astros,
2: the version, the Astros version is Devo, is Davinsky.
0: Right. You have Devo and Giles. And then you have Tony Sipp, your left hander, who's not even a situational left hander. I don't think he's coming to a game when they've had a lead. So, that's probably a good thing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, granted. Well,
2: so, all right. So maybe you know what? There's been talk about, and Jay Kaplan just wrote about this last week about the um, Jeff being Jeff Lenovo, He, sorry, the Astros being interested in Justin Wilson, who's a left-handed, hard-throwing reliever for right. the Tigers. But fine, that's a small measure. Like maybe you know to like the World Series path. I still do think that the central point is: um, Are the Astros going to pull off a season-changing? Trade for a really good starting pitcher. Like that's that's sort of like the looming question for anybody out there that's really into transactions. Only because I'm pressed for time, Austin. Can we move on to yeah. the uh,
1: NBA Finals? Absolutely. And of course, the Astros right now uh, sitting at 32 and 16 as we're recording eight games up on the Rangers and Angels in the AL West. Rangers uh, have gotten hot. We can talk about that gotten next gotten week. But, but yeah, uh, NBA Finals, of course, uh, Cleveland on Thursday night knocked off Boston. Uh, pretty dominating fashion. They did slip up, I guess, in game four of the series. Uh, but honestly, the playoffs have kind game of Game three. Game three. Yeah, no, it's game four. Game four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Who knows? It was it was <laughs> it was in the series. Yeah, it was in the series. Uh, but Cleveland it's and Golden three, State okay. have both looked completely dominant in the postseason. It, it hasn't been enjoyable from a fan's perspective. Uh, however, NBA ratings are up for the playoffs this year, which is kind of surprising. Uh, but it's a series that we all expected. It starts, yeah, th- it starts Thursday night. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. When you look at the numbers the last five years, there have only been three teams that have made the nba finals it's the spurs the warriors and lebron
2: the lebrons yeah
1: yeah i mean whatever team is on (laughs) seven straight finals appearances out of the east what are your expectations for the series does it live up to the hype vegas odds have golden state as the heavy favorite do the Cavs have a
0: shot or is golden state too good i think it's going to be golden state but the funny thing about this whole playoffs and even this whole nba scenario to me is that this whole season it was we were, we were hearing two team league, two team league. This is going to be great, a rematch in the finals It's going to be awesome. I really don't feel that way. I feel like it's like, oh, I've, uh, I've heard this joke before, and because if you think about the series last year, it wasn't even that good. No. it was bl- alternating blowouts, right So this whole like, oh, this is going to be great round two, uh, I'll, I'll pass. That's actually how I feel about it. I'm going to watch, uh, but it's not going to be a big night for me. Like, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch the finals every night. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of, not that I'm over it, but this one, it doesn't really stir my emotions. It's not. There's not drama. We say we want good games. I want drama. The drama is, well, they're meeting again. Well, the last time they met, it wasn't that great except for game seven. So I'm kind of lost in it, but I think Golden State, I think they'll go ahead and take it this time. Hunter, what about you?
2: It's interesting that the most compelling... Like, I, was, I was actually really thinking about what you just said, Derek, and had... Transcendent. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that the thing that props this season up... I'm oh, sorry, excuse me, that props this series up almost exclusively uh, our narratives, right? Like, I'm not sure we're that excited to see the quality of play. It really is so inflated slash conflated by... The LeBron Michael Jordan comparison, by the super team element, you know, like the, all the pressure is on the Warriors to get oh, yeah. it done. The from the standpoint of, do I really? You're right. Am I? Do I expect the Cavaliers Warriors games to be really good? I guess I guess not. I I, I also think
0: that. It dampens the mood for me. I'll just say that.
2: It, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That the, the narratives going into this are kind of the are, are the most redeeming, the most exciting parts. That the actual quality of play, the actual players on the court, although although really although they're great, I guess I don't expect them to to play so well against each other consistently, game in game out. Like the Warriors are clear favorites. The most simplistic argument I can offer is it's it's funny how many people are very confident the Cavs are going to win. The Warriors last year won the most games in a single season in NBA history. Then they acquired Kevin Durant. <laughs> it's not so complicated why this team is so good, why they have not lost a game in the postseason, and why they should be favored against the Cavs, even though the Cavs are the defending champions and the giant killers from last year. Yeah, it, Meanwhile, by the way, they almost lost game seven. You know, it's, like, it's, not, it's not like that was such a great game either. It was really ugly. After six consecutive, excha- after exchanging blowouts... Game seven last year was atrocious, right? How? What was the last six minutes? Was uh, only a co- you know, a few points, right? But, but, but yeah, I I think it's the Warriors. They should be the favorites. And the only thing that'll like, that gives the the Cavs hope is the narrative that when LeBron is determined, he can turn it on, right? The defense tightens up after the Cavs had this atrocious defense all season. Suddenly, their defense is. Good enough. The Cavs, I think I heard Tom Haristrow of ESPN say that the, the Cavs have either the highest or one of the highest offensive ratings in NBA history, in NBA playoff history. Like, I didn't know that. Um, what combats it is that the net rating, which is the combination of the offensive rating and your defensive rating as a team, the, the greatest of all time belongs to these Warriors. So that's a little more important.
1: To me, the narrative is kind of interesting. I mean, we, we look at LeBron since being down 3-1 to one last year. He's... 15 and 1 in the in the playoffs. That's remarkable.
2: At least. The you
1: have the defending. Sh- oh, <laughs> fair. You have the defending NBA champs in a rematch against a team in Golden State that's making their third straight appearance in the finals. But you had mentioned that all of the pressure is on Golden State. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Is it kind of odd that defending NBA champs are back in the finals and and such huge underdogs. The Vegas line right now is plus 220.
2: No, the team that won 73 games last season then added Kevin Durant. It's not, I, I get it's that, not weird. But just home court advantage. Like the whole, the whole take, thing. Taking away everything. I mean, it just seems odd to me that...
1: I, I totally understand why all of the pressure is on Golden State, but we haven't seen that before, where a defending champ gets into the finals and is that big of an underdog, and essentially
2: has no pressure on them.
0: I would actually say that the pressure is split because LeBron's made it to so many finals and only won so many titles, right? He's a really good loser that's in the some, finals. But like, that's like some BS
2: sports talk radio
0: thing. It's starting yeah, to sound a little it, bit though? like uh, Skip yes, Bayless here. Yes, it is.
2: He's, he's got to seven consecutive NBA finals, and to say, like, yeah, Skip Bayless, he's not a winner or whatever. What you, I, I'm not saying he's a winner. I'm saying the is on him. Michael Jordan never had to go against a team like the Warriors. He never had to go seasons. against a team. Let me rephrase, because those Pistons teams were really good. He never during his iconic run of championships in the 90s ever ever had to play against a team like the Warriors but much less two consecutive seasons. He never had to go against a team like the Spurs. Forget it. Like I I I don't mean to get to drag us into a Michael LeBron discussion. We shouldn't. We should just hold it off until the end of the pl- the, the finals. But no, I don't, why do you, th- what, because you think people are going to think he's a, he's a choker, that he can't get it done? What, this guy, I, I was making the argument uh, two nights ago to a friend about how one of the underrated, undervalued, under discussed qualities of the LeBron run is how many rosters he has worked with and, you know, lifted. You know, so those Miami th- teams were, of course, excellent as a core. But They had no depth. Uh, no depth. They were... <laughs> no depth. You've got Mario Chalmers. Rio! Yeah. Well, he was their best player. But, yeah. you know, like Mario Chalmers, Norris Cole, Dexter Pittman, Joe Anthony, Jamal McGlure that first year. The list goes on and on, right? Um, <laughs> James Jones. But, dude, LeBron... I, winning last season, winning the finals last season, I really... I think it dispelled any of the conventional hot take... Um, arguments that LeBron is anything less than incredible, legendary, in the top one, two, maybe three players ever, that he can get it done. I mean, dude. And he like,
1: arguably had his best season this year. I mean, uh, granted, he didn't finish in the top three of
2: the MVP vote, which is he was a shame, just, yeah, he was just so much fun to watch this season. Well, he's, he's but I'm uh, um, just, to, to quickly make a point, then we, he's, but he benefited this season from the same increase in pace. Right, at Harden and Westbrook. I just want to put that out there. Like, it's not like it's not like LeBron is better this year than he's ever been. His numbers are, are excellent because he's always been really, really good. He's However, also shooting at a higher percentage from three point than he has in the past. He seems, but to be his, but distributing his, the ball a little bit. Yeah, more Yeah, but remember that there was that year where he and Kevin Durant were fighting for those absurd field goal percentage numbers overall. It was all about efficiency, right? Like, it, it's not. I'm saying you, you can skew it and slice it any way you want to try to suggest that this is LeBron's greatest season statistically. It's just not that big of a deal. That's not. It's not even really what he's about. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't. He, we don't define him by his season statistics. No, we do that with Russell Westbrook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what um? There's one more thing we want to get into, which is Brock Osweiler. Yeah, Brock Osweiler. Okay, so really quickly, before we
1: move into Osweiler, let's go predictions
2: really quickly. Uh, Derek, let's
1: start with you. Cleveland, Golden State, how many games? I'm going to go Golden State in six. Golden State in six. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. I think it's uh last time we all predicted a team to win in six games. It was the Spurs against the Rockets, and uh, that worked out well for the Spurs. So uh, Golden State in six, unanimous uh, decision here by the Weekly Brew Podcast. But I think I have the Spurs in five then, but yeah. Maybe. I don't no. know. We'll, we'll have to go back and listen to the film. But speaking of listen film... Listen to the film? Yeah. Speak, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, film, uh, Brock Osweiler, or the, the, the terrible quarterback that uh, cursed the city of Houston uh, last year, uh, is now in contention, I guess, with, with Cody Kessler for the starting quarterback position for the Cleveland Browns. He had his uh, first media availability uh, this past week with members of the, uh, the Cleveland media, and he was kind of grilled. And, I don't know, as a Texans fan, it was so much fun to watch. I mean, because I despise Osweiler. I mean, Hunter, you know, last year, toward the end of the season, we would just text back and forth talking about how atrocious he was at quarterback. But Osweiler, when asked about uh, why he thinks he can start as an NFL quarterback, he said this. If you play the way you played last year in Houston, is that good enough to help this team win, or how much better do you need to be?
2: You know, I'm not going to compare the two situations because... Uh,
1: one, they're two different teams. Um, they're two different systems, offensively, how we do things. Um, my sole focus right now is on this system, this team, and uh, being my absolute best I can possibly be for the Cleveland Browns. But are you good enough to be a starting quarterback in this league? I mean, regardless Absolutely. of the system. Absolutely. Why?
2: <laughs> I, I think the proof is in the film for the past two years.
1: But I, but some people would say the proof's not in the film from last year.
2: Okay.
1: So Osweiler, he insists that he uh, – is a good quarterback, and that his film the last two years speaks for itself. Is
0: he that delusional? You know, I kind of want to say yes. I was around him a lot in the locker room this past year. You, You were there too, Hunter. Always incredibly cordial, very nice. But there was a part of you that knew that it was very fake. And I think that became evident in that piece because you hear him almost break persona. Oh yeah. His persona is right. Goody two shoes. Everything's great. National football league, net football, football, national football league, but he almost broke it there. You you could see it.
1: Yeah. Like just if if you watch the video and we'll link to it on our, uh, on our website, weeklyproofcast.com. But if if you watch the video, he's definitely flustered and he has a few voice inflections. I mean, he, he doesn't seem confident suggesting, that his film speaks for
0: itself. It's the pouty kid that everyone had heard the stories about in Denver and even here, right? It came out that he and Bill O'Brien got in a shouting match. That's not surprising though, because Bill O'Brien's really prickly, but it it was just kind of, I don't know. It was nice to see because I almost kind of got bored of the whole Brock being Brock and cordial and kind and polite. Like I, I'm, I'm glad I saw some edge to him. Finally, I don't hate him as much as everybody else does. Because I think I was around him enough to where like, yeah, I don't really care if you suck. You're a nice enough guy. You answer my questions, (laughs) which that's really (laughs) right. That's very selfish. Right. It's very selfish. But yeah, it didn't he didn't bother me as much. But that was my biggest take from that was like, oh, we uh, almost saw the real Brock because this, you know, Governor Osweiler almost broke character.
1: Is that what he needs to actually find success as a
0: quarterback in this league? Oh, I would say so. Everybody's got to have their edge somehow, yeah. right? I mean, Hunter, you can back me up because you were in the locker room too. You were around him. You have that look on your face like you don't want to say anything.
2: No, I don't. I don't, I don't have anything nuances to add to the argument. Like the the, the clip is funny because it really stokes the Shonden Freud of you know, Houston fans. Right, they're so happy that like this misery has been you know exorcised from the team. But I was I was thinking I was actually thinking the opposite. I was always, I was thinking, man, Cleveland's had such good sports luck lately, and they've done so well that maybe you know Houston fans are going to be the ones like just weeping at the end of the season because the Browns are either going don't to... don't jinx the Astros. I'm just I'm just saying the Astros. I'm just
1: saying you 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 said Cleveland fans have had success. Maybe Houston fans are going to be the ones sad I, Texans. I think they're a year or two away.
0: Just still, don't jinx my Astros. Still a year or two yeah. away.
2: Fine. I, I didn't mean the asterisk. I just meant that the Texans football fans uh, might, in the end, envy the Cleveland Browns, right? They have a lot of smart guys now in that front office, yeah. D. Podesta and whomever. Um, and their draft class this year, at least on paper, looks phenomenal. Yeah, it, it was, I'm just saying, it was like this, this perfect, it was a perfect canard, that soundbite that, that Osweiler offered. But I could see this turning north for Cleveland and going south for the
0: Texans. That's the funny thing is they actually meet, I think, what, week six right. this season? And what is the thinking- reception going to be like if
1: it's Osweiler coming in here as the starting quarterback – and he gets a win against the Texans. Like, yeah. What is the reception going to be for Bill O'Brien that Monday press conference? That would be so
0: uncomfortable. Fortunately, I don't have to go to the Mondays. That's not, my, <laughs> that's not my day to cover, and I don't think I want to be around for that if that happens. But it's a realistic scenario because the quarterback situation, despite what you think of Tom Savage or Brandon Whedon or Deshaun Watson, they're going to have to face a pretty decent defense in the Cleveland Browns because of what they've drafted and what they're building. They're not quite the dumpster fire anymore. The Chicago Bears, my team, have taken over the dumpster fire position of the NFL. So I think that's actually going to be a good game, and I'm excited to find out what happens. And I don't have to be there for the press conference, so I'm even happier. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. But uh, thank you, Brock
1: Osweiler, for uh, sending us that audio this week. And uh... Uh, Derek it's been great to uh, have you as a guest host this week and uh, Hunter always great to have you back in studio. Thank you. Uh, I
2: wanted to I just want to add so so this weekend I'm going to cover the uh, Orioles on Sunday which is Lance McCullers start. The Orioles. You know you know the Orioles uh their biggest fan is, right? Tim Kirkchen. Oh, wait, wait. Hold on. I think uh Tim is actually uh online right now. G- guys Guys, I'm still, I never really left. I've, I've stayed and lived under this table in this studio. It, as I've complained before, it's just so dark down here, guys. Uh, so the Orioles, they're the only bird with an orange chest to ever bear the chest of a baseball player. I, I love this game. And uh, the, the matchup with the Astros is going to be great. It's the first time, Austin. Austin, can you hear me? I, I can hear you. Look, I feel like I have to shout from down here. It's the first time a bird, all right, has ever played against a, a galactic asteroid. It's it's just this game is so great. First sack flies, <laughs> now this. It's just great. Can you please can you drop some crumbs down here? I, Oreos, I got you. I and got you. A, oh, thank you. Would
1: thank would you, you like some much. chips as well? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, oh, all right. Tim Kirkshin, everybody, thanks for uh, I guess
2: staying at the studios. We we appreciate it. But uh, yeah, some people think that's kidnapping or, ma- or or you know indentured servitude. But no, you know he's just tiny.
1: Well, I mean a lot of people think that you know he's doing live remotes at the stadiums, but he's actually got a little green screen down here where he's doing these uh, live remotes for ESPN and baseball tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Derek, Hunter, it's been great to have you both on the show uh, this Appreciate week. Appreciate it. It was a good time. And, and for those that want to you know, follow your work, Hunter, you had a great uh, story this past week about Jeff Van Gundy and ProVision Academy. We spoke about it last week on the podcast briefly. You got a shout out on the, uh, the ESPN game the other night. Uh,
2: Thanks to Mark
1: Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tell us where we can find that story and also your work on, uh, on Twitter.
2: That story can be found on HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, or you know the Google. If You just type my name and Jeff Van Gundy. I'm sure it'll pop up. Whatever. Uh, it's also somewhere on my Twitter timeline. My Twitter is Hunter Atkins 35. Uh, and yeah, Sunday I'll be covering the uh, Astros Orioles. I don't know what my angle or take is going to be, but I'm sure it'll have something to do with how uh, well Lance McCullers has pitched lately, and that um, having to go up against a top AL East team like the Orioles is going to be a nice uh, little test. You know, for the uh, for the Astros, yeah, Derek. Where can uh,
0: people find you? Well, it's funny that you say that about the Orioles being a tough team because wouldn't everybody say that about the Astros that they're a measuring stick for them? But that's that's a that's well, another, well, of course, well, well, we the we Orioles got, are going to get
1: the Astros best. I mean, you've got Keiko supposedly going on Saturday if he if he can get over that pensioner. McCullers going Sunday, and then you know you've got a decent guy in Musgrove going on Friday night.
2: I mean, can we double check that the McCullers is pitching Sunday? No, he is. Okay, yeah. I want yeah. I'd be very embarrassed if. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because we're, we're
0: going on and on and on. And then you're the, talking as, about an article you're going to do that yeah, might exactly, exactly.
2: I feel yeah. like now, And I'm not, because I'm not so, I'm not 100% certain about that. Look up those MLB probable starters, my man. I got you. Um, no, the reason why I say the Orioles are a good measuring stick for the Astros is just because we're talking to an Astros audience. No, of it's course. Like,
0: of course. But, and you can find my stuff at Fogel said what, F-O-G-E-L said what. I've got a lot of. A lot of articles from just reporting and covering the games. And then there's also, you know, kind of belligerent takes usually hung over on Sundays about football. Follow Derek. Derek is funny.
2: (laughs) And related to Jared, right? Uh,
0: Absolutely not. Absolutely absolutely not. If you were,
2: I wouldn't brag about that. You know, that would be the worst. I'm
0: doing it for him. The, (laughs) The worst thing that ever happened in my life was him. The best thing that ever happened was super bad, Because, you know, from they call him McLovin. Except he spells Fogel with two L's. I only but spell it with one L's. But nobody knows him as Fogel, dude.
2: Only people know the subway
0: guy, and that's right. your bloodline. That's the <laughs> worst thing to ever happen <laughs> in my life was that guy. He spells it differently, thank God. Yeah,
2: he's the worst thing to happen in, apparently, more than just your life.
0: Just because so. my name sounds like his, not spelled the same. It's just, it's awful. Thank you for bringing that up to this audience. I'm so glad they understand <laughs> that.
1: Hunter Derek, it's been great. Uh, Make sure that you check them both out on uh, Twitter. And if you didn't catch the Twitter handles, we'll link to it on our website, weeklybrewcast.com. Also a reminder that you can follow Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. But uh, guys, it's been great. Talking Astros, Rockets, Brock Osweiler. Again, this has been episode 95 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. On behalf of my co-hosts this week, my name is Austin Staten. We'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.